This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, welcome to Real Vision. My name is Santiago Velez. I'm the co-founder of Block Digital Corporation, and I'm pleased to bring to you today on Real Vision, uh, Mr. Edward Woodford. He is the CEO and co-founder of ZeroHash. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, when I started to do a little research on your project, um, I started to realize that maybe there was uh, some problems not being addressed in the digital asset space. Uh, I think most of the space is focused very much on P2P at the consumer retail level. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I kind of stood out for me in, in your project was a focus on, on business. Uh, but before we get on, get to that, I'd like to introduce the audience to you and a little bit about yourself and the company. So can you give us a, a kind of quick overview of your background? Yeah. Um, so you can probably tell by the accent, uh, grew up in the UK. Um, then I came to the US uh, for grad school, so graduated from MIT. Um, started a business um, in the emerging um, agricultural space. Um, we, we sold part of that business off um, and then founded uh, ZeroHash um, in the Tushwasa ecosystem. And so ZeroHash is the name of the company. Mm -hmm. Is Can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, maybe the problem that you saw that motivated you to uh, ZeroHash? And then can you also tell us, you know, what is what was it about the digital asset space that you found exciting or drew you in, right? This black hole that's kind of sucking all this great talent. Yeah, so maybe starting, <laughs> maybe starting from that bit first, what drew me in. I, I think mm. it was really that, you know, three, four years ago, um, you know, a lot of people self-selected out of the digital asset space, right? A lot of people are jumping into the digital asset space right now. But at that point, that's what drew me in was the fact that a lot of people self-selected out. Um, I like the fact that people felt that it was somewhat controversial. People had a very visceral reaction to it but actually hadn't done much work to understand the potential. And for me, um, that's a great space to play because a lot of people self-select out. So you don't necessarily need to be the smartest person in the room because a lot of people aren't willing to come into the room, right? Um, so that's what drew me in. Um, and you know, to your question about the genesis of, of ZeroHash, we didn't have this great foresight of you know, the business where it is today is different from where it was then. So we founded the business to be actually a direct customer business. Right? We were building out a crypto exchange uh, with some differentiation and different pieces. But very quickly, we realized, hey, if, if, we, if, our, if our thesis is that crypto is going to become um, you know, a big part of people's financial portfolios, a big part of the utility of the financial system, um, isn't that going to happen to a large degree where people already have their bank accounts or already have their brokerage accounts? And so we actually realized that the value of the business wasn't in the direct customer piece. It was actually in all the back office infrastructure that we'd built. And so our business today is effectively a B2B2C business. We don't have direct B2C customers. Um, we enable businesses to launch digital asset products natively and embedded within their own infrastructure, very similar to banking as a service or brokerage as a service. So we offer what we call digital assets as a service. Um, and that's effectively what we do. We allow people to buy, sell, reward, 
round up, stake, hold NFTs. Um, and people can do that where they already have accounts today. Neobanks such as Moneyline, Wirex, um, trading firms such as TradeStation, Tastyworks, all leverage us to offer crypto natively to their customers today as part of their client experience. I see. So um, if I'm understanding correctly, it's essentially, um, it, it's very much a fintech oriented business that revolves around uh, almost a white label mm -hmm. platform that uh, a business can uh, build on top of and integrate with their existing portals on behalf of their customers. And then through some kind of API process, allow uh, calling to your platform so that you can provide all of these services that maybe that's not their core competency, right? And so they need the, the um, instead of building all that out internally and going through that effort, they can call on your service and, and basically use those functions and, and apply um, or offer those things to their customers. Is that fair? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we have, you know, dedicated APIs. If you want to issue crypto rewards, for example, if you're a credit card issuer or you have a credit card for your customers, you can hit our rewards endpoint. If you want to buy and sell, you can hit our buy and sell endpoint. And so it's exactly that. Really, the problem set that you identified is, is, is spot on. You know, just to elaborate a little, a little bit on it, we really solve three main problems. One is regulatory. Um, the movement of digital assets is a regulated activity in a large number of jurisdictions. And so, for example, in the United States, we're a money transmitter in each and every state. Um, the second piece is technology. Crypto is complex, but not only is it complex, but it's rapidly evolving, right? So the top 10 crypto assets today aren't the top 10 assets that were there uh, a year ago. So it's not just build, but it's also maintenance and continuing to scale. And then the third piece is that most players do not want to have crypto on balance sheets. So even if a group said, I'm willing to get regulated, I'm willing to build out the technical infrastructure, they actually don't want crypto to sit on their balance sheet or be a counterparty to crypto um, for a number of reasons. And so we are the counterparty to the transaction. We are the custodian in the sense that the crypto sits on our balance sheet. So that's the reason why businesses um, leverage Zero Hash to offer crypto natively within their infrastructure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, you know, uh, from my view, it seems that one of the biggest problems a lot of brands and businesses have to really engaging the space um, is exactly what you laid out. You have platform risk, you have regulatory risk, you have um, the technical competencies that you have to build out to even be able to do it. And then, of course, you have the obsolescence risk, right, that the technology is moving very quickly. Um, and that, that can be a, a very big distraction, all of those elements to a business Absolutely. Um, who is in the business of doing something else, right? It's not their core business and, um, you know, providing that and abstracting it essentially. So to me, you're providing an abstraction layer there with a lot of those problems, um, you being experts can facilitate a solution for. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I, I think it's, I think it's quite, quite brilliant. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So <laughs> which, which particular, uh, and, and we'll get into all of the different verticals, but I, I see maybe, you know, payments as one vertical, uh, digital asset custody as another, and, and maybe, you know, digital asset 
property primitives like an NFT. Um, can you talk a little bit more specifically about in those three verticals, what kind of services you might offer? Yeah, so we break down our our, our, our verticals really by kind of vertical of the type of customers um, working with us. So, um, you know, in, in the in the and so for example, in the payment space, we power a bunch of on ramps and off ramps, right? So if you think of groups like MoonPay, Transact, Ramp, uh, Coin Mama, uh, Simplex, we power a bunch of these groups in the United States and elsewhere. Um, and effectively, what we provide is the ability to generate crypto addresses uh, unique to each person. And then the movement of those funds, and then the and then the withdrawal of those funds. So we're acting as effectively a payment um, mechanism. Um, where we're particularly bullish um, around payments, and is actually more traditional players entering the payment space. And what drives that excitement is really two big theses. One is obviously the kind of adoption of the metaverse, and then the second is Web 3.0. Traditional. Pay, what people have termed payments in crypto really aren't payments. They're really very easy ways to buy crypto as like a, a GUI plugin. That's what people have termed payments in crypto. Really what payments is, is actually a, a transfer of, of, of value. And so what makes us bullish is that traditional payment mechanisms can't interact with Web 3.0 and the metaverse in many ways, right? So if you want to, for example, buy an NFT, um, you need to interact with a smart contract, either through Solana or Ethereum or Polygon or whatever. So the beauty that we see is um, traditional payment players entering the space, leveraging their very robust traditional fiat payment mechanisms. And leveraging zero has to be an abstraction away um, from that interaction with crypto. So you can buy an NFT, but actually you don't need to interact ever with crypto. You swipe your credit card, you now have an NFT. That's what we provide to people to, today. And you know, I think that's going to continue to scale with more traditional and established players in the payment space. Yeah, I, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a very powerful infrastructure play. Um, I think it, it, it is a very big challenge for a business to hold crypto on their balance sheet solely to be able to do those activities. In other words, apart from, you know, holding some ETH or Bitcoin because it's uh, maybe an investment strategy for the business, but to hold it to pay for gas, just to mint an NFT or sell an NFT, et cetera, that's a, that's a, a very difficult value proposition, I think, for a business to take on on their own. Um, obviously, because of the tax implications, the uh, regulatory implications, potentially. Um, so it makes perfect sense to me that if you have a fintech solution that can API a lot of that, those requests, and then you can build a bridge to a traditional uh, uh, fiat-related type payment rail, that all of a sudden now you have an end-to-end -end solution, right? You can you can offer to your customers the ability to use currencies that they're familiar with yep. to buy those NFTs and, and, and hold them. And then um, on the back end, which is the service you provide to, to then effectively uh, facilitate the transaction on chain, yep. right? Uh, pay for the gas, pay for the purchase. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely spot on. And, you know, it's 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 really, you know, interacting with smart contracts. So with Ethereum, you know, being able to input, you know, leverage input data and doing all these pieces. So you're absolutely right. It's, hey, I want to interact with the crypto ecosystem. Um, I want to do it in a, in, a, in a compliant, regulated manner. And we basically provide that infrastructure around the movement and payment of actually leveraging digital assets. We sit downstream from a more traditional uh, payment process and, it, 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 you know, that does credit cards, debit cards, ACH, um, all of these other pieces. We're a complement to those types of groups. 
And oh, that, that's great. So now getting on to the second piece, big piece of the puzzle I see is the custody issue. Um, you know, being bearer instruments, these digital assets, wh whether they're ETH as a native token or, or an NFT, uh, there's a security issue with that. And, and there's complexity associated with, with being a custodian. How does your platform solve that problem for your, your upstream clients? Absolutely. So we provide custody to clients, but, and we're a custodian. Um, but we don't charge for custody. Um, so it's part of the service that we offer. So we secure assets for clients, right? Um, and we are the custodian. So the assets are sitting on our balance sheet, right? Under GAP accounting as both an intangible asset and liability. And so that's what we mean by custodian. We offer custody services. It's an inherent piece of our product, right? So if you buy a Bitcoin, for example, on Moneyline or Tastyworks, those assets are legally being held by, by ZeroHash. Um, but we don't charge either our partners or what we call to be platforms, i.e. the business, or the end client or customer custody fees. We don't see why we should. And actually, we want people to hold assets with us because there's other ways that you can um, you know, monetize those assets. We can get into it about additional services such as staking. And so we can offer those additional services and effectively take a very small cut of the, the, the staking rewards. Um, and, you know, that more than pays, much more pays than if you were to charge uh, basis points uh, for, for charge, you know, for, for, for holding assets with you. Yeah, wow, this opens up a couple of rabbit holes. I think maybe it would be fun to go down. Um, you know, the, the, the first one that I think is interesting about your solution is uh, a lot of people don't really understand uh, that blockchain networks are wallet-based systems, uh, whereas businesses deal with clients mm -hmm. and accounts. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you need somebody to correlate accounts with wallets so that all of these digital assets can be properly uh, credited and managed. Um, and that that's that can be a daunting exercise because you, you really need to have expertise both in account management and wallet management and, and the subsequent uh, blockchain technology. Exactly. It, it, it's that map. It's that mapping. As you say, it's um, people dealing accounts. They don't deal with um, crypto addresses. And it can get even more complex, right? Like in, in, in payments, often people create new addresses for the same account per transaction. And so it gets even more complex. So you're absolutely right. That middle layer piece that we provide is um, complex and valuable for, for, the, for exactly the reasons you articulated. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you touched really uh, uh, quickly on something that I think is also really important, which is the account holders on the various platforms that you service. Uh, you know, there's always this ongoing um, search for either yield or for uh, exposure to uh, a particular investment or asset class. And the account-based traditional system struggles with how, how do they expose someone to a DeFi product or to the appreciation of NFT, et cetera, when they don't have this, this uh, middleware there. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, first of all, does your platform allow for that exposure? And secondly, how, how do you go about that? How does that work? Yeah, so we allow people to hold NFTs um, with us. Um, and we hold, allow people to hold um, digital assets um, with us. Um, <clears throat> so that we, we're, you know, we built out a, a staking infrastructure that we're continuing to expand as we launch more and more proof of stake assets. Um, and you know, in, in short, what is critically important is from a, an account's perspective, a client has to actively um, say that they want to stake those assets, right? So it's just a tick box. Again, it's a tick box is presented by the platform. Um, they communicate that to us via API, and then we take care of actually staking those assets 
uh, for the end customer and and the platform. Um, so relatively, you know, you know, relatively simple at a, a at a high level, right? We hold the assets and then we allow customers to make decisions on what they want to do with those assets, including staking. Yeah, that that's perfect, and I think that that really that solves a, a really big problem for a lot of people. There's, you know, the technical complexity aside, if anybody uh, who's participated in DeFi or used their wall, you know, browser-based wallet to manage NFTs, uh, it, it's pretty complicated, and all of that risk, um, you're you're taking on that yourself, right? It, you're, you're as the owner of the private keys, you really are responsible for any error. There's no way to claw anything back. Um, it, it's really quite a problem and, and a hurdle, I think, both from an educational perspective and a technical perspective. Your middleware seems to solve that for, for your clients. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, there's obviously a lot of disclosures that have to be made. I think the critical difference, right, between DeFi and staking is that, you know, staking, by and large, right, and a, a clear uh, exception to what I'm saying here is Ethereum 2.0, um, you're, not, you're not moving the assets, right, in the sense of, they're not going somewhere else. Whereas DeFi, it is a, it is a, it is mechanically a different product. Um, you know, both of them effectively create quasi yield, which is a rate of return on assets, but they're done in very different ways. Um, but yeah, as you say, things are these things are complex, right? To actually stake assets, to do this, to pay for um, the different pieces that are required. And again, we simplify it, make it super easy, and for mass adoption, right? Um, it's a critical, it's a critical piece we think of of, of the infrastructure. Um, we think that you know, crypt. We spend all day in crypto, but we're not crypto acolytes, right? Mm -hmm. We don't think that most people should hold 100% of their wealth in crypto, but it should be a portion of it. Um, and therefore, we think that a large portion of the next wave of adoption is going to come at where people already have accounts today. Um, they're going to buy those assets, and then they're going to get more interested in other pieces of the crypto story, including things like staking. Right. So, you know, holding the digital asset, that's one way. Uh, 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 participating in a, in a delegate or a proof of stake mm -hmm. uh, is another. A DeFi instrument's another, maybe an NFT. Um, so really, you're kind of building out this basket of, of options or choices uh, for the end customer. Yeah. All we want to do is, yeah, is create optionality and choice and... You know, we don't, all we do is provide the, the tools and then it's up to the platforms to market, create a beautiful front end experience and importantly, understand what their end customer wants. So you're absolutely right. We abstract away, we give a lot of choice um, and then it's up to the platform. That's great. Uh, so where do you see um, uh, the platform going? Like what's the next big step? What are you most excited about in building out next for your clients? Yeah, so I, th I think, you know, we just closed our Series D fundraise, um, or we announced it actually yesterday. Um, and as part of that, a big piece of, of, of our approach is to give more choice to our, to our partners and to the end clients. Um, tying into this, um, you know, some of the things that we've touched upon, metaverse, gaming, um, you know, uh, layer two. Um, aspects, right? As crypto is a payment mechanism, we think that layer twos such as you know, Arbitrum um, is going to become increasingly important. And so a big part of our, um, you know, these big, these big themes that exist, um, we want to be continue to be well positioned for that. And as part of that, um, right now we support about 40 different crypto assets um, mm -hmm. and our partners can choose which ones to select. Um, we want to double that number by the end of this year. 
supporting assets that touch upon those key themes. And that's one yeah. big piece. And then obviously broadening our staking um, options for our partners, right? So as we support more proof of stake assets, ensuring that we not only offer those proof of stake assets, but also offer um, the ability to stake those assets. Very interesting, because uh, it seems like, uh, you know, your vision for the future in incorporates a secular trend towards further digitization and our movement into metaverse or, or Web3. Um, and so offering these things now to your clients, it seems like a very clever way that when, you know, more people start involving themselves in online communities and they need ways to make payments or exchange assets or property that they'll already be kind of native to it, right? That, that the portals that they're familiar with and, exactly. uh, and transacting to now, they'll be able to segue right into uh, these spaces without much friction. Is, is that fair to say? Exactly. I mean, <clears throat> even just opening up an account is friction, <laughs> right? Mm. Um, and then learning a new system is friction. I mean, this is fundamentally why um, a lot of these large fintechs um, have large multiples because they have sticky clients. They love the experience. They do a lot there. And as you kind of had this you know, other big theme of the super app, right? If you're going to offer more and more services embedded into one place, crypto has to be in that thesis. I mean, it is. I would be surprised if a financial service group is not thinking about digital assets. I mean, it, it's pr pretty much every single um, you know, hot buzzword wealth technology, buy now, pay later, um, you know, Robin Hood like competitors as broker dealers. Every single group is looking at crypto because it's part of what clients want, it's part of what they demand. And you've absolutely hit on it. Um, if you can offer it to your clients with the exact same user experience where you don't have to move money off of the platform, where you can seamlessly buy a stock and you can seamlessly buy crypto with that same dollar that sits in your account. That's really, really powerful, not just the front end, but it's also that kind of efficiency of capital for the end customer. And people are seeing this, right? Like people who haven't launched crypto when we're talking to them, and sometimes they were against crypto, you know, 12 months ago. And you ask them what changed their mind. I mean, we can talk about big picture, vision, web 3.0. That's not what's changed their opinion. What's changed their opinion is when they've actually done an analysis of where withdrawals are going, and they're seeing them go to crypto platforms. That's what's mm. changing people's minds because they know that their clients are moving assets off. And if the assets aren't on their platform, they're going to engage less. And if you, they engage less, they're more likely to leave. And I think that is honestly one of the biggest trends that we're starting to see. Every crypto company is going to become a traditional financial services company. I and mean, every financial services company is going to become a crypto company. By that, we mean that crypto companies, and we're already starting to see this with groups like Coinbase, are going to offer financial services, such as you can have a bank account where you can get paid into. And equally, every crypto company is going to offer, for example, brokerage of stocks or the ability to have bank, you know, and these two things, these two worlds are very much blending. And people have started to see that um, in part by public financials from groups like Robinhood. Um, you know, last, I think it was Q2 of, the, of last year, 50% of their revenue almost came from crypto. Um, and they're also seeing it from the valuations that crypto companies are getting that, wow, this crypto company can almost now buy me, um, it, it's changed people's whole perception. And you know, people trying to play catch up into your question earlier about the value that ZeroHash provides, it's also that speed to market. People have really clocked on that this is real, it's meaningful, and there's value. 100% agree. Man, that, that, that's great. I, you know, for me, if I were a business, my, my thought process would be, 
time to market, like you said, uh, and not having to misallocate resources internally to develop kind of core competencies that are not mine, right? That here's a firm that can provide these services and keep up to date on them, right? Keep me exactly. on the cutting edge uh, and abstract that from my clients to make it as easy and painless as possible. And that increases then the chance that whatever my core business is, is going to be more successful. In other words, 100%. if I if you don't adopt a strategy, a crypto strategy, um, one is going to be adopted, you know, forced on you. And it may not mm -hmm. be the one that you'd like, or you may have lost opportunity costs, right? That you, you, you didn't provide something that your clients kind of desperately needed. Um, so I, I, I actually, actually think it's quite brilliant. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the risks, right? Because I see, mm -hmm. uh, you know, regulatory risk and, and uh, cybersecurity technological risk. How does your platform go about addressing each? And uh, can you talk a little about maybe also your criteria for what uh, digital assets you you allow to be displayed, right? We have thousands of digital assets. Yeah. Do, talk about the criteria for which ones are good enough. Yeah, just so just very simply, as a US-based firm, we do not list anything that has a, is a security token, right? An STO. Um, now, that that isn't it's never a black and white answer, right? Because um, there's only two assets that are listed on a CFTC regulated platform, and so you could argue that Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only ones that regulators have actively said are um, commodities. But the way that the rules work in the United States is that, by definition, everything's a commodity unless it meets the test of the Howey test. So what we mean by that is, for example, weird things like movie theater receipts are commodities, right? There's actually one of the few assets that is actually banned to have a um, futures contract on. Commodities uh, is, is actually movie theater receipts. So movie theater receipts are, are, are commodities, and therefore, you know, by default, um, everything starts off as a commodity, and it has to actively be, you know, hit a couple of tests to be seen as a, uh, as a security. Actually, just fun fact, if this ever comes up, another <laughs> asset that is banned by the CFTC for, um, for derivatives is actually onions. Um, in the 1950s, they banned onion contracts. So a little bit of fun trivia there. Um, <clears throat> so the, the very, that's the basic piece, right? We also have to, um, you know, we, we try to be agnostic as much as possible. We try to listen to customer demand. That's really the critical piece. Um, and you, you analyze things like concentration of holdings, these types of tests. Um, so you're applying statute, and then you're applying some analysis, you know, quantitative analysis to it. And we do that for every single token. Um, to a question about regulation, um, regulation is definitely part of it. Um, it's a, a, you know, it's a risk in things, things change, um, or the rules become stricter. Um, I think, you know, Zero Hash is positioned to be a global firm. Uh, we are a global firm. Uh, we have people based across the world. Um, and we service clients across the world. And the reason for that is we service very large platforms that have a global client base. Uh, one of the things that we started to see is that jurisdictions, actually the US was actually pretty quick in saying, this is what it is, we're gonna regulate it in this way. And so in the United States, you know, you have to be a regulated entity in some form to offer crypto services. Um, other jurisdictions said, we're not really sure. Now jurisdictions are now becoming surer. And so we're having to get regulated in more jurisdictions globally. Um, not necessarily a risk for us. It's just something you have to be conscious of and you have to invest, invest time in. And then your last point around cyber, right? I mean, this is, that's clearly one of the biggest risks for, for all these pieces. Insurance coverage in the space still isn't where it needs to be. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a large portion of it is 
um, trust, right? Um, your trust in the platform, your trust in the infrastructure, your, your trust in the audits, and to some degree, your trust in the, the, and the regulators that regulate these entities um, also um, have done their diligence in ensuring that the platforms are, are, are you know, doing everything they can to mitigate the risk of a hack. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. That's, that's excellent. Great, great answers, by the way. Uh, and I think that's uh, probably the same question that almost every single... Uh, brand or business that's looking to enter in this space is asking mm-hmm. themselves right now. Exactly. So, yeah, a firm that that has uh, has those answers, at least a view on them, a strategy I think is going to really outperform compared to those that don't. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you 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 guys have given careful consideration, and I do think that it, it is a global. Um, it is going to be a global response depending on the, the jurisdiction and, and where your where your clients reside, right? So you might have clients uh, in different countries with with different rule sets, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know they may mean that the offerings change depending on on where you are. Is, is that correct? Yeah, um, I, it, I think we've also got to be cognizant of regulatory arbitrage, mm-hmm. right? The regulators need to realize that um, <clears throat> people can, you know. Uh, do different things in different places. And if you um, prevent um, the ability for groups to innovate, um, they'll go elsewhere. And that wealth, that creation of value will go elsewhere. Clearly, there's got to be guardrails. But you've also got to be cognizant that if you squeeze, um, this isn't going away, right? So it's a, it's a, it, it's, it's something that you, uh, the way I describe it is it, it's, it's, it's like, you know, one of those um, spongy toys almost. If you squeeze in one place, yes, you'll move it out, but it's not going anywhere. It's just going somewhere else. Um, and maybe that's okay, but I don't think it is okay in terms of the creation of value and actually creating better systems and better products and better guardrails for the end client. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's, that should be the approach. So regulatory arbitrage is, is a risk um, you know, for, for the entire space. Yeah, and you know, I, I, uh, pushing on that analogy even more, I think this really is a... I don't want to go as far as say it's an arms race, but um, it is a, a, a undiscovered country, right? That this online space that's developing, and yeah. it's incumbent, I think, on regulators to understand that people are laying claim, and if you don't participate in that rush, then you're, you're going to be left behind. You're going to be at a strategic global disadvantage. So it's really in your best interest to support your local firms and and how to go about that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it's it's not only just sometimes actually ambiguity, right? And creating ambiguity is the worst thing that you can do as well. Um, but yes, you've got to be cognizant that this is a global global asset, um, and there's global talent all trying to do the, the same, you know, trying to do very similar things. So um, right now in the space, what do you see as the most exciting opportunities um, for you personally and, and for your company? And what would you like to bring to your clients? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about NFTs. Um, is, is that kind of the main focus right now or where's the excitement for you? 
Yeah, I mean, what, what makes me excited is that um, I, I do believe that in the next 12 months, um, in large part because of zero hash, every single um, American, and actually in other many other jurisdictions around the world as well, but just focusing on the US for now, um, will be able to purchase or get rewarded crypto through an account they have today. That's really powerful because, you know, estimates are different, but people estimate between 15 to 20% of Americans um, have crypto. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but let's just say it's true, 20%. The ability for 80% of people to, to actually have crypto in their portfolio um, is something that will happen in the next 12 months. Um, and so every single neobank, every single buy now, pay later, every single wealth management, um, every single broker will have the ability for people to have crypto in their portfolio. And I think that's what makes me really, really excited. Um, it's just this kind of wave of, of adoption that you're seeing throughout the globe. Um, and I, I think that's you know, exciting because that will drive further innovation in everything from you know staking NFTs and all these other pieces um, that we're seeing. Yeah, you know, we're, we're filming here January 13th of 2022. And as you know, the crypto markets have a significant amount of volatility as an asset class. But, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm looking at this secular growth in this space and the amount of adoption uh, by both individuals and, and, and brands and, and businesses. Um, I think that the price action really is... Uh, it's a distraction um, and, and the amount of building that's going on, that's the true story. And that's that's where I think investors should be focused is, you know, you just what you basically just said is um, there's going to be a wave here of uh, offerings for uh, clientele that haven't even been in this space. They don't understand the nuances and they don't they won't need to because they'll have a kind of a frictionless way to interact with it um, with very little risk to them uh, through through the things that they're already used to, that they're comfortable with. Absolutely. So I, I am equally as excited as you in, in terms of, first of all, hearing that and, and seeing also, from my view, uh, this kind of incredible adoption, right? This is really an exponential thing. Um, so where do you see then, assuming this actually plays out, um, where do you see your firm you know, being in a year, five years, 10 years, uh, what would you like to see happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes say we want to be the biggest, um, least known crypto company. Um, and by that, I mean that, you know, the end customer, you know, if they, you know, they'll read their terms of service, but similar to like a plaid, for example, where mm. everyone interacts with plaid every single day, but you don't necessarily know that, right? So that's what we mean by that is we want to power access to hundreds, if not billions of people, um, access to crypto. Um, and by crypto, we mean, you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin, you know, these kind of more crypto, what people call cryptocurrencies and the whole vernacular in the space is kind of getting a little mm -hmm. distorted and blended as well as NFTs, which we kind of segment slightly. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, that, that's, that's really what we, what we want to do is make it really, really easy. Um, and what also excites me is that we, we allow innovators to innovate really quickly. We lower that barrier to entry. And what we mean, innovators doesn't necessarily need to be a startup, right? It can actually be a large company innovating. Um, we allow people to iterate, you know, iterate, innovate um, in, in very short periods without this huge time to market. And you mentioned my background. Um, you know, the first business I did was actually a CFTC regulated entity, um, hence why I know these kind of weird and wonderful facts. Um, it took us, you know, 18 months to get to the start line, 18 months. 
That's what it is to run a regulated business. It's a very high fixed cost business. Um, and there's a lot of time to market. So, you know, this old adage, fail fast, right? It's really hard to fail fast in a regulated business. Um, so that's what excites me uh, for our business is not only just powering access, but also for being a tool for innovation. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of Ferraris out there with you as the engine under the hood, you know, powering this, this yeah. race. I think it's going to, um, you know, it just makes sense to me. Uh, you know, success doesn't mean that you have to be the biggest known brand. It means that everybody's using your product. And exactly. I can see a scenario where uh, a lot of corporates say, hey, um, I don't want to go through the effort. I don't want to go to the time to market. I need to move now. Uh, and here's a solution where uh, I can jump right in and, and have confidence. Um, and, you know, they wouldn't even be the first, right? So you, you already have a, a healthy portfolio of clients that are proof concept, right? That they, this works and, and you can get going immediately. So that's that's super exciting. Um, any Anything you want to share with our audience uh, uh, before we, we end the interview? Yeah, I mean, so we uh, announced our, our Series D yesterday. Um, we raised over 105 million. Um, and so we're scaling quickly and we're scaling globally. So wherever you are in the world, you, you can work for us. Um, and so we're hiring. Um, if you want to get in touch with me as well, if you're a business um, that is looking to embed digital assets to your customers, super easy to find me on LinkedIn or just drop me an email. It's just edward at zerohash.com. Are you at Liberty disclosing um, who some of your backers are in, in terms of support or is, is that private? Yeah, um, some, of, some of them are public. Some of them will become public over time. Um, some of our backers include uh, Point72, so Steve Cohen's fund, uh, Bain Capital, um, Nika, um, Tastyworks, Traystation. Um, so a real, a real nice uh, mix. And we also have some really interesting angels as well, which ties into this kind of next wave of finance. So, for example, the CEO founder of Marketa, Jason, um, mm. invested um, recently. Uh, we also um, have the founder of Deserve, which is a really large and growing credit card as a service provider. Going back to this point about rewards, Kalpesh um, is an angel as well. So we have this really interesting mix of you know brand name VCs, um, but then you know really awesome um, entrepreneurs that see their business and see how quickly they're starting to adopt or think about digital assets, and they see Zero Hash as being that that bridge. That's fantastic. I, I I'm looking forward to having a front row seat to this collision. <laughs> of traditional finance, fintech, and, and uh, the digital asset space. And I think you're going to be right in the middle of it. So, um, you know, Edward, thank you so much for coming on Real Vision. I hope that we'll have an opportunity to have you back on in, in a, maybe a year or so to check on your progress and, and see how things are going. Would you be willing to do that? Sounds like a plan. You've got me on record now. So all good. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks again, Edward. Appreciate you joining us. Take care. Same to you, sir. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film, we work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're looking for quality content from one of the best crypto teams in the space, join Real Vision Pro Crypto, the first ever crypto research membership from Real Vision and Delphi Digital. There are 70 plus crypto and tech analysts on the team, and you'll get instant access to in-depth bottom-up analysis, and early market insights, plus frequent video and flash updates, and a thriving online community. And from now through January 28th, you'll get a substantial discount that's locked in for two years by signing up at realvision.com slash pro crypto launch. That's realvision.com slash pro crypto launch. See you there.